this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to The Playlist Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Barfield, Managing Editor of The Playlist. And for this special Halloween episode of The Playlist Podcast, I'm sharing a recent interview I conducted with Damien Leone, the writer-director of one of the most successful horror films of the last year, Terrifier 2. Why am I interviewing a filmmaker about a movie that came out a year ago? Well, the film is actually getting a re-release in theaters on November 1st, and the new version of the film will feature a special teaser for Terrifier 3. If you're unfamiliar with Leone's work in the Terrifier franchise, basically it's a pretty simple premise. There's this killer mime, Art the Clown, who goes around and, dun-dun-dun, terrifies people and butchers them in horrific ways. The first film found its footing on streaming, where horror fans devoured it, reveling in the grotesque gore and the incredible character design of Art the Clown. But last year, Leone blew the roof off the franchise with Terrifier 2, an epic horror film that raises the bar in terms of blood and gore, but also with its storytelling, introducing a mythology and a true final girl for the franchise. And holy shit, did fans love it. The film was released in select theaters and earned a ton of money at the box office and becoming one of the biggest hits, relatively speaking, of the year. The film had a micro budget, even by those small Blumhouse movie standards, and ended up earning more than 15 million at the box office. Keep in mind, this is a two and a half hour unrated ultra violent horror film that served as a sequel to a movie that really only existed on streaming. The fact that it earned 15 million at the box office is a huge accomplishment. So with the re-release coming up, I was joined by Leone to discuss the last year where he saw his upstart slasher franchise turn into a box office success story. We also dive into the creation of Terrifier 2 and why he decided to go much bigger for the sequel. And we definitely discuss the future, specifically Terrifier 3, which is expected to arrive in 2024. But before I play my interview, I got to tell you the Playlist Podcast is part of the Playlist Podcast Network, which includes Deep Focus, The Discourse, Bingeworthy, and more. And if you want to find us, you can check your podcast app of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, anywhere else you find favorite shows. Okay, folks, here's my interview with Damian Leone, the writer-director of Terrifier and Terrifier 2. Remember, Terrifier 2 is getting a big theatrical re-release featuring a teaser for the Terrifier 3 on November 1st. Enjoy. You're promoting the re-release of Terrifier 2. And to me, I, I was lucky enough to see this film a little early. Uh It's a perk of a job, but uh, it's crazy to think it's already been a year that this film has hit theaters and it's been a crazy year for you. So what's it, why do you think now is kind of a good time to, to unleash terrifier again into the theaters? Um, Yeah. I think that just because it's uh, it's nice to 
extend the Halloween season this year. Uh, and there's still a lot of momentum behind Terrifier 2, believe it or not. Um, we do a lot of conventions, David Howard Thornton and I, uh, especially this uh, this month. And I feel like the fan base has grown exponentially over the past three months. Um, I have people just coming up to me constantly saying we were at Halloween Horror Nights and there's more people wearing Terrifier shirts than the actual houses that they're going into experience. And and when we hear stuff like that, it's just the most surreal, wonderful thing. It's really um, we're so grateful. So it's been really exciting. And that's pretty much what it's been like this 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 whole year. Every time we go to conventions, it's people coming up to us, telling us wonderful things that they're discovering the film. And we've sort of uh, reinvigorated the slasher genre uh for them and they didn't think they'd be able to have another one of these sort of retro horror uh characters they say icon they throw out icon i don't like to throw <laughs> that out I think, very, I think that's a very big premature word but we do get that a lot uh so it's just really wonderful i think it's it's great we'll we'll get to the year you've had in a, in a second but i want to go back to kind of the origins of this movie because i remember watching the first terrifier uh years ago now and it's kind of a dark grimy angry indie horror movie it's a small scale it's brutal it's just there's this killer mime who's stalking women and brutally murders them right and then it kind of ends that there's a tease as horror movies do but you really kind of went to the next level with with art the clown and and kind of the mythos for terrifier 2 there's a bigger budget a lot of ambition and a lot of supernatural stuff so was it all always kind of in in the plan for you to to switch things up quite a bit for the sequel? Uh, it was because I feel like it's the traditional trope in almost all of these classic slasher films where the killer eventually dies and then he's resurrected somehow or he just comes back from the grave. Uh, it's just what the boogeyman does. But a lot of times in these films, they don't really explore that uh, that mythology. They sort of just get a pass because that's what the boogeyman does. Uh, but I really wanted to embrace that. Uh, supernatural elements and and I also didn't want to just keep making films as much as I love where Art the Clown is a human where that almost makes him scarier um, you can't really have these wonderful uh, intense climaxes between your killer and your protagonist without the killer receiving some sort of death blow eventually so I wanted to just you know, get over, you know, get that over with very quickly uh, and then explore the killer coming back from the dead, but really embody that supernatural element. But going into Terrifier 2, I knew this was my time to really sort of um, try and hone my skills as more as more as a storyteller. And I wanted this film to be bigger uh, and have more of that Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors type vibe if I was going to explore the supernatural, because I feel like that film in particular marries the two so wonderfully it still has that old school sort of more um like you said that sort of grindhouse sinister tone of nightmare on elm street one but now you bring in that sort of fantastical element and it's a beautiful marriage so i really wanted to try and capture that to the best of my ability and i really wanted to bring in a protagonist this time uh, a worthy adversary for art the clown so i really put my all into crafting the sienna character and to me terrify two's really her film as opposed to arts where terrifier one was a showcase for art the clown so i knew it was going to be a, a a pretty different film but i always say the important thing is having that safety net which is art the clown and as long as you keep checking those boxes that make him work i feel like i'll i'll keep the audience on my side and that'll allow me to really uh take some chances that are uh, much more risky on the other on the other end so luckily it paid off though for the most part
Yeah, yeah. And and you mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street part three, and and that's the vibe you immediately get from this movie. The music hits you, the the title card and the font is very reminiscent of those 80s slashers, and the cinematography just and and of course the story with the supernatural stuff. So is that era of horror just always something you've gravitated towards? Big time, especially as a kid. Those were those were my favorites. Um, and it's funny now because people want to talk to me all the time about torture porn movies and gore and this and that. And I'm like, you know, I haven't really seen too many like new ones. I don't really watch a lot anymore. It's it's so odd because it's really not my cup of tea as a movie to sit down and watch. But I still love making them. And I, I, I'm just there. There's something there's something where I'm still. I don't know, reliving those childhood uh, dreams that I would have or just that the experience of watching them uh, that I loved so much, especially those slashers. I just really looked at them like those were my superheroes. Those were my Batmans, my Supermans, you know, Uh, and there's still that little kid inside me who's just trying to give something back. Um, But again, I don't really see that tone anymore in modern horror movies, at least not the ones that I'm watching, not not too many. So um, if I could try and recapture that to the best of my ability, but then put a a sort of modern spin on it or my own kind of take that makes it something new. I think that's the best thing you could hope for. So hopefully I'm doing that. Yeah, I, I think it's a mission accomplished as far as that goes. Um, and and you've mentioned, see, you've been you're hitting all the points I want to make because you mentioned I'm on Elm Street and there's a very clear, even though they look nothing alike, but Art the Clown and Freddy Krueger share a lot. And I, it's it's interesting because Freddy has for a long time, for decades, been the the one character who's been able to to marry laughs and personality and scares. Some people have tried it unsuccessfully. A lot of times it's just easier to go with the boogeyman, you know, the, the truly scary killer. So what uh, what made you want to attempt to kind of bring in those laugh out loud moments and also horror to your slasher? Yeah, well, the horror is always first and foremost, the most important. And that's actually a really fine line. I'm always trying to walk and always you know, apprehensive of, skeptical love is, uh, and I tell my cast and crew, especially David, Howard Thornton, when we talk about the character and where we're going to go, I love the levity. I think the levity is crucial to Art the Clown. The um, the first short film I made with Art the Clown, the laughs that that character sort of uh, got from the audience were uncomfortable laughs. It made them feel, you know, it's just him staring, smiling, uh, and, and they were sort of laughing un- uncomfortably in, in the, you know, in the theater or wherever, where I would, if I was in a film festival and watching it with them. And I loved making people laugh uncomfortably. And I was like, ooh, I want to keep doing that with this character. I like the laughs coming because the I knew the darkness and the, the sinister qualities were always going to be there. But the more graphic I started making these films and the more the more violent, the more levity I started allowing, you know, myself as the writer and David to inject into the character, because I don't want people leaving the theater having a really sort of morbid, you know, down experience. I want them to know this is a film. We're living in a fictional world and we should be having fun, even though some of the lower a lot of the imagery we're showing on the screen is very extreme and very dark. Uh, but I love that he has such a distinct personality uh, that comes through. Whereas, like you said, most of the, especially the silent killers are kind of one note. I mean, there are some great actors who've brought as much personality to those characters as they can, given the limitations. Uh, but 
you know, Art the Clown is really very charismatic. Very, you could tell what he's thinking, what he would be saying. You can fill in all his, you know, all his dialogue for him if you wanted to. Uh, and like you said, I really do feel like the silent Freddy Krueger was the last sort of combination of all these characters that wasn't quite, uh, you know, wasn't they didn't quite hit hit that yet. And I feel like we're, we're doing a pretty good job at that. And that those are some really big shoes to fill you know to try and re recapture what makes freddie work so i'm uh if that is the case i'm very very proud of that so you you mentioned uh the character of sienna played by lauren lavera before and uh she's an interesting spin on the typical slasher final girl because she's a strong woman as final girls typically are but you went a step further and made her kind of larger than life like i i i i'm worried of saying like superhero but it's almost to like superhero proportions why oh, yeah. did you go that step further with sienna to make her uh kind of almost like a a one-to-one -one rival to art the clown yeah well that's exactly why because i like i said before I, I wanted a worthy adversary and now you're dealing with this uh this supernatural demon i mean let's be real he's basically a, he's the demon at this point and and you know seemingly immortal and unstoppable so what's what's the point of just having him just you know rub out all of these uh helpless victims uh i mean i'm sure a lot of people just love to see that but i mean we need to craft the story here we need a we need a worthy opponent so uh and i have just such a, a an affinity for you know a, a wonderful wonderfully crafted final girls uh especially like um ripley from aliens in particular james cameron's aliens is possibly forget about male female i mean like my favorite hero i think the greatest hero just ever written for like an action film she's so so amazing so i really wanted to try and take my crack at that but most of the time the final girl is the star or if not all the time the final girl is the star of all the slasher films but they're never put on the same pedestal or show the same really level of respect that the killer is the killer is always the one on the pedestal so i wanted to see if i can do the same thing with my final girl and really turn her into as you say like this superhero give her a costume that makes her like again i hate throwing the word iconic out but i i don't know what word to use at this point but just something that is just so appealing and pleasing to the eye something that you would see you know jump off the page of a comic book because that's what grabs my interest that's what grabbed my interest as a kid were visuals right i loved looking at comic books more than i enjoyed reading them i just was obsessed with the artwork and obsessed with the visuals so uh with with my films i'll always start with a character like i sketch everything so it just starts with uh, the image of Art the Clown. And then it's like, what does this character, what is he? How does he operate? And it was the same thing with Sienna. I always wanted to, because um, uh, again, I also grew up as a very little kid obsessed with Red Sonia, the movie Red Sonia. It's one <laughs> yeah. of my favorite. So, uh, and I love medieval times and movies like, uh, or, or just that Lord of the Rings, you know, uh, world. So, so movies like Beastmaster and Conan the Barbarian, Excalibur. Love those movies. And I love mixing genres as well. So I always wanted to make a strong female character in that world, in that Red Sonja world. And to see if I could blend that with a slasher somehow, well, it was very exciting to me. But to do it in a way where it's still sort of grounded in reality and see if I can make it work, you know, in some mythological way. Uh, so so that was that was the goal again. And that was also one of the very big risks that I took and I knew that was going to be a polarizing thing to bring that sort of fantasy element. And some people would gravitate toward it and some people would be like, what the hell am I watching? But to me, that's the kind of stuff that excites me. And that's the challenge to see if I can make that work uh, because it is so fresh at the end of the day. It's not something you typically see in a thousand slasher movies.
Yeah. So you, uh, I don't, maybe people who watch the movies don't understand this, but you are, uh, the VFX guy, the, the, the creature effects, the, the makeup effects, you're the guy behind all that for your movies. And that's something that really stands out in the terrifier films, obviously, is just how great those practical gore and VFX are. Um, and, and you you continuously up the ante, which is uh, admirable as well. So do you see yourself ever handing off that VFX work to a, uh, to other people in your crew uh, as these movies get bigger and bolder? Or is that something you're just always going to have your hand in? Oh, absolutely. So um, so I'm the. I'm the practical effects, old school guy. Uh, so I hire other people. We do have little bits of visual effects, VFX in the film, but uh, I hire other people. I had this awesome dude, Josh Petrino, who actually did the VFX for uh, uh, Terrifier 2. Um, so uh, practical effects was my uh, my first love in terms of filmmaking. And that's what got me into this. Uh, that was my introduction to this world. And it still, you know, still has a, a huge piece of my heart. I love it. But the reason, the real reason why I would do all the special effects is because I didn't have a choice and I could never afford to hire anybody else to do the amount of effects that I could do, um, you know, for, for, for the budget that we'd always have. It's just impossible. So the exciting thing is, is that I actually, for the first time ever going into Terrifier 3, um, I can't say who it is, but I was finally able to hire uh, a team to come in and do the effects for it. That I have a, you know, I I am like by their side working it out. It's it's great because I am a makeup effects artist, so I make it so much easier for them because I know exactly how these need to be shot and how they're not wasting their time building something that's never going to be shown on screen. And we have this wonderful shorthand of how to make these effects look as good as they could possibly be. But you know, now I'm bringing in a team who just wipes the floor with me in terms of the <laughs> artistry level, their level of talent. So to me, it's just a giant weight off of my shoulders. Um, it's always about just, am I able to find people who are better than me that I could afford? It's not like I want to do all this stuff by myself, but if I can do it for cheaper and better, I'm always going to take on the the responsibility. But, but we're at the point where I'm finally able to hire somebody and it is just wonderful but I could sit back with a cup of coffee and go, yeah, that looks good. More blood on that. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so let's get back to what you mentioned at the beginning here with the last year for you, because I don't, maybe people don't understand this also, but when the first Terrifier was a modest hit, but it really found its audience in streaming, I think. And Terrifier 2 just was a, was a relatively monster hit at the box office. And that came as a shock, I think, to everybody. So was there a point in time when you're making this movie or, or marketing it or, or at some point where you're like, we have something special on our hands or did it just kind of come out of the blue for you? And is there a moment that you remember from this whole journey? That's where you're like, holy shit, we, we did something. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so here's the thing. I, I've honestly, uh, um, I have to be honest that I, I really believed once I made the second short film with Art the Clown, which was my short film Terrifier, because he was originally in a short film called The Ninth Circle. Um, when I made that short film Terrifier, I really believed like what's happening now with Art the Clown. Uh, I really believed that then. I, I, I felt like there's something really special here with this character and just like people, I just need to get him in front of people's eyes. Like, because if it's working for me, and I really believe that, listen, I was somebody as, as a kid who was, I, I mean, consumed by horror. Like it was just, that's all I eat, breathe, sleep, horror, like all day long. 
Um, and just if it was just working on me, I just knew that other horror fans were going to were, were going to just like him as well. So it was just all about getting to the right place, the right place, the right time, getting him in front of people's eyes. So making even when I wrote part two, I just felt really good about it. I said, if this comes out the way, you know, even 50 percent of the way I, I wrote it, I think people are going to really gravitate toward it. Um, and I would tell, you know, I would tell my cast and crew on set with uh, some of the scenes we were filming. I'm like, you know, if, if this ever gets in the theaters or something, I'm like, people are going to walk out. <laughs> like some people are going <laughs> to walk out. This is going to be a, a bit much. But that being said, uh, we never believed it was going to go into the movie theaters because the first one didn't. It was still such an obscure movie. And now part two you have. It's a sequel to a movie that was really never in the movie theaters. It's two hours and 20 minutes long. It's unrated. Why the hell is this going to go into the movie theaters? So, so I thought that it would eventually find its audience. But it would be years later through streaming and word of mouth would continue to slowly grow organically like it's always been. But, you know, total credit and kudos to Cinedime, who's now Cineverse. They really believed in the potential to get into the theaters and they really pushed it. They're like, no, we could think we can get it into a handful of theaters, like a decent amount for, for like a weekend or something. Um, and you know, I was like, if you could do it unrated and that's fantastic. I'm all for it. But the moment that really stood out to me was that first weekend. I think it was a Sunday night. I went to the city to see it with my producer, uh, George Stuber. Um, and we were taking the lift home from the theater. And it was a great theatrical experience. And in the, uh, in the lift going home, I'm just going through Twitter to see, like, what's the reactions? What's going on out there? And I see a tweet. Uh, it's, and it's a picture of a guy. And there's two paramedics walking over to him. And he's passed out. And so whoever posted it put an emoji over his face just to block his identity. And over his shoulder, it said, it's the poster for Terrifier 2. And the caption says something along the lines of, uh, my friend just passed out watching Terrifier 2 because it was so extreme. Paramedics had to be called. Highly recommend. Like, like something <laughs> like that. And I was like, oh, my God. That was that moment. Like, I think we have something. Like, is this real? Is this really happening? And then that just floodgates opened after that like the the whole next week was just howard stern you know doing segments on the show stephen king tweeting about us uh, we were on every morning talk show for that week about see the movie that has people you know throwing up and passing out in the theater and whatnot so that was such an insane surreal experience that none of us cast and crew will will ever forget it was just it was really exciting because because it was real it was organic and it wasn't something that we did as a marketing ploy so th th those are rare moments things you really can't buy we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, so I got I got time for one more question. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the future. So let's let's talk about Terrifier 3. Uh, it's got an announced uh, release date. Uh, well, not a release date, a release time frame of 2024. And um, now that Terrifier 2 is a huge hit and Art the Clown is, I will say it, an iconic character, where do you go with the next sequel? Super, super excited. I wish I could give you tons of spoilers because it is, uh, <laughs> again, I don't like... 
like I, I like having that safety net. I like giving people like 50% of what they know works. And then there's like a big gamble or just something to keep it fresh. I always like trying to keep it interesting and new. So we're doing that again, big time. And you're actually going to see a big part of what that is when you see the teaser that's attached to uh, the re-release of Terrifier 2. But the things that I could say is that we're still continuing to obviously follow Sienna and her brother on their journey, how they've um, responded uh, to, to this insane trauma, this insane event that's happening to them. Um, and I want to go back tonally to more to Terrifier 1. As you said before, the first one was grittier, darker, this more simplistic sort of retro slasher film and i want to be very careful that we don't go too much further into the dream warriors now it's like it's like i like the checks and balances right and i always like to keep art the clown first and foremost terrifying and just sadistic and mean and i think in this film he's going to be the most terrifying and the scariest and most sadistic that we've ever seen him. I want to see if I can make people um, as afraid of him uh, as if they've never met him before. Like this is the first Art the Clown movie they're sort of going into. So that's going to be one of my big challenges this time around. But that doesn't mean, like I said, doesn't mean I'm losing the levity. Art the Clown is still going to be his fun, quirky self. But overall, this movie is going to be the, the hopefully the scariest and darkest of the, the trilogy so far. Awesome. Thank you so much for, for talking to me about Terrifier, your plans for everything. It's oh, it's yeah, a lot of fun, man. It's so much fun to to just have a good horror franchise right now. So so thank you. Oh, thanks, buddy. My pleasure, man. Uh...